everyone do it? Can we just, we'll start the show with like vibe check. Because we need to like vibe check the heavenly now. Uh huh. In April of uh, 2020. Um, which is, which for future historians is when we're recording this. Um, yeah, how, how's everyone doing? Um, we'll, we'll start with um, our guest, uh, Nino is it Cipriani. Uh, it's just Cipri, actually. I, Cipri. I oh, yeah. Good. Like three generations ago, maybe it was Cipriani or Cipriani, um, but not since like the 20s, I don't believe. Okay. Um, so I was, I was half right then. Okay, yeah, oh, yeah. You, were, you got most of it fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing okay. Uh, I have been staying in my mom's house in Vermont uh, with my partner and my mom's partner and a cat and a dog. Um, and it's fine. We're, it's a super rural place. Uh, my mom was kind of in the middle of nowhere. So uh, we came, my partner and I came up here from New York City not very long before a lockdown order went down because, yeah. you know, there was what five people in a really cramped maybe like 600 square feet apartment and we were just like my mom has laundry on site and <laughs> fewer people who will be like breathing on us uh so so we came up here um and it's been fine i have been doing things that i haven't done in like maybe two decades for example painting my nails for the first time just because i'm I am that bored um, and taking a lot of walks and cooking a lot, actually, which has been really nice as well. Okay, you, you sound like you've got it, you got it sorted. You're doing well. I, I mean, I'm you... also having like pretty constant panic attacks, but I oh, mean, yeah, I'm not going to talk. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay. yeah, I was is, like, yeah. wow, I'm being, I'm being like way dunked on right now where it's like, wow, you're <laughs> having a normal time. You're being productive and shit. Fuck me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, I would not call it. I, I was also just like horribly ill with like possibly anxiety, possibly just like stupid hormones, and possibly just like oh, I'm in my 30s and my entire body is breaking down now. Um, but I was just like, you know, it's it's cuter if I just say that I like painted my nails a couple of times and watched mm. a lot of BuzzFeed Unsolved. Like that's that's most of my life right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, for people who aren't in their 30s, like, imagine if you just did a jump off the ground and that could, like, just fuck you up for the rest of the day. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't jump anymore. Like, I, I, my, my move set has been reduced. I can't get off the floor. If I, I like, if I, like, rotate wrong, like, in place, like, I'm just shifting my body, I'm like, oh, my arm's no good for the next, like, hour. I gotta just, I gotta rest it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I drank a, I drank one glass of wine and it fucked up my entire day uh, and I was just really angry at the world and also at myself and also everything. I can't even my enjoy a glass of wine. My mom keeps bringing up cuz she's in her 70s now. She's like getting older sucks. You lose all this and I'm like I'm embracing it. I love uh decay. I love getting worse over time. Not morally or ethically, just physically and mentally, you know? <laughs> I was like I'm I'm very I'm I'm much quieter about it now cuz you know I'm I'm in my 30s, I've matured a bit, but I'm no less like moribund and ultra goth on the inside. I've just learned <laughs> not to broadcast it 24/7, but I'm like, "Mmm, it's worse today." Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, I love that. 
Yeah, there are lumps on me that are just not going to go away. They're just there uh-huh. now. And, I don't know yeah. if I have. I don't know if I have lumps. But I do have a lot of stretch marks. I gained probably about I don't know, like 20, 25 pounds because of grad school. Um, and now that I'm out of grad school, it's just like I like it. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's because of uh you know not being able to take care of myself because i'm kind of trapped in a sort of um extremely exploitative uh system of higher education it's more like oh i just grew an ass i and some hips and i am evolving into my final form i guess this is great yeah, I've been i had 40 the same pounds since my son was born it's uh <laughs> it's not fun <laughs> i uh i got uh uh, less disastrously poor. There was a, I, I don't want to tell like uh, the horror story of it, but I was nightmarishly poor for, for a stretch. And then I, uh, and also nightmarishly depressed. Who can relate? Who amongst us here or oh. in our listenership? Who can relate? <laughs> um, but then uh, got a little bit better and a decent partner who then more or less force fed me. And now I have a gut and I, 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 fucking love my gut i fucking love it like mm-hmm. it's kind of just like it's like it's like that one shitty meme of just like i lived bitch like this is my i lived bitch ass like, uh-huh. i'm it's uh-huh. kind of funny because like i got i had top surgery about what like uh just under a year and a half ago like in december of 2018 and the first time i went down the stairs i was like oh my god nothing is jiggling this is the best fucking feeling that i've ever had and it lasted for maybe like six weeks before I just like, yeah, oh, like packed on a whole shitload of weight. And I was like, you know, everything else is jiggling. And I'm so happy about that. Like, it's just like the one part of me that I didn't want to jiggle is not jiggling. This can stay. This is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, Langdon, how, how do vibes there in uh, Washington? Right now? Uh, uh, so uh, there are two vibes, obviously. So um, the first one that will make no sense, pretty good. Um, okay. uh, my partner got, so we um, didn't set up our house with the anticipation that my partner would have to work from home uh, indefinitely, uh, you know, due to not, not anticipating a plague condition, um, yeah. I, which is frustrating in a way retrospectively because I do have the complete works of Camus. And so I feel like I should have known on account of it comes up, you know, a non-zero amount. Um, but alas, you know, you, hindsight, all that kind of stuff. So we had the trouble of with me losing my day job, but still having writing stuff. And then my partner needing to work from home doing their nine to five job uh, and only having one desk. Oh. It was... Uh, and it's not a desk that's like big enough that you could put a computer on either side and have two people work and be really cute. Not no, no, it, that would never work. Um, it is very much a one-person desk. So there was the uh, the conflict of trying to figure out balancing that so that each person could get their work done and not feel like step. Eh, you know, there is an amount of angst from that because then you also have to like doubly keep the desk clean in order because someone else has to work there. Um, but eventually we just put in an order for a second desk and cleared out some space and that came in the other day and got that set up. So we each have our own setups now, which is nice. I've been, um, there's nothing to do obviously. So I've been ultra productive. I put out four fucking huge pieces of writing this past week, like four. Yeah. I read for the, a total. Um, 
It was like uh, 30,000 yeah. total words Holy in shit. one week. Yeah, just like, I have nothing else to do. Like, I, just, <laughs> I read uh, uh, a half of a novel yesterday. <laughs> I just stayed up till 6 a.m. reading a novel because I don't have a fucking job anymore. I don't know. Uh, so mentally, like, I'm reverting to being 19 years old and in college where it's like, I'm going to stay up till 9 a.m. And so it's like, why the fuck would you do that? And you're like, I don't know. I don't have anything to do except drink like that's that's it that's like that's what's on the docket and that one i can move the start date for that one very easily there's no <laughs> that one's a very flexible part of my schedule uh and then outside of that i see things like the pentagon emergency ordering 100,000 body bags and so you know then you know then then the uh the dread and panic come back in hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that's that's been my experience too i'm i'm doing like if i if i my world is the four walls of my house then I'm doing really great. I've got my my work delivered a huge ass monitor to me. It's fucking massive. They just um delivered it in one day, and I've got a great computer they gave me. And I I can just sit here. I can do my work from nine to five at my desk. I can have I'm, I'm like then I can work in the evening. I've been crazy productive too. I've started a new short story, a, a new novel, a genre I have never thought I'd even touch. Um. And yeah, just yeah, just be insanely productive. And uh, listeners will know we've put out like a show every couple of days, and we're going to keep doing that probably, probably until quarantine's over. But Holy then, shit. see, now yeah. you guys are definitely making me look bad. I've gotten very little writing done. I couldn't do anything for a solid two weeks, and then <laughs> you've, like, you've, you've got to publish novel like this week. It's fine. You, 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 and it's incredibly to, good. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Yeah, we're gonna get to that in a second. But, um, yeah, it's like yeah. the the short and sweet is your book slaps ass. So it's oh, yeah. like you're. Well, and you. none of us have a published I book, so it it's like <laughs> technically you're beating us. <laughs> yeah, you're beating us. I want to. I want to. I really want to put like uh, so, on some future book the blurb this book slaps ass like on yeah. somewhere on the cover because that's great yeah every now and again blurbs like get they get really academic in a way that and sterile in a way that i i think is driven more by like what publishers think readers want but like i've been a heavy reader since forever and i like never read blurbs really unless uh, there's a couple people where if they say like this book is good i'm like i'm buying it immediately i don't care what it's mm. about but I I tend to remember more the ones that are like this book fucked my brain up mm -hmm. or like I am dying now. <laughs> so, or like I had a collection of uh Borges that has an intro pair like essay from William Gibson and the it reads like he was trying to blurb a Borges book but because it's Borges and he loves it so much it just became an essay and they're like fuck it we're publishing it. I'm like yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck blurbs. Give me like an introductory essay from another person. <laughs> like that's that's baller shit. <laughs> but um yeah, we should we should probably talk about Finna. Um because yeah, it, it did it did slap. And it's one of the like Tor's micro renaissance or like just this tiny golden age that Tor is having right now. Yeah, it's like they never, they obviously never went away. They've been a massive, massive um, mainstay in the sci-fi world since I think they formed in the 60s, I think. I could be off on there. 
a long time ago and very, very big mainstay and like things like uh, the Otherland series by Tad Williams came out initially through Tor. And that's a that's a massive thing in the sci-fi world. So, you know, they've they have a wall wall bang bangers. But these past couple of years, there's just been this like uh, a peak, at least for us personally, where it's like suddenly it's like not just books where I'm like, I like these, but books where I'm like, fuck. And then like shoving them in other people's hands again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to just, you know, clarify something that the book is published by like Tor.com publishing, which yeah. is like they're mm-hmm. different, like they're part of the same kind of overall imprint. Like, I mean, publishing in general is just such a weird labyrinth of like imprints and who owns which imprints and like when, you know, at any given time. But like it is a separate team and like um, not to shit on Tor. Because, like you said, they're they're giants. Like they do a lot of really amazing work. But yeah, like Tor.com in particular. Like I think when I started like trying to teach myself like what the fuck science fiction and fantasy is sort of about, like Tor.com, their short stories when they were publishing those was one of the first places that I really just like delved into. And a lot of the authors that I found there who are now publishing, you know, novellas or full length books, like are the people who have just like I fucking love these people like i love this i love these stories i love uh so many of the acquiring editors have gone on to do like really amazing shit like they're either running their own imprints or they've been hired on full-time to like acquire full-length fiction it's yeah so yeah i love the stuff that they've been putting out too for sure oh and uh like a a a fact correction because i just looked it up for myself apparently tor was founded in 1980 but is like loosely spun out of ace books like the founder left ace books to found tour and ace has been around since forever um but yeah no i I, uh, you go on yeah so who were who were some of your like formative sci-fi influences then like who were you reading on those like early days of tour.com uh well i mean if we're going like really formative the the earliest stuff that i was reading um oh god like in my childhood was probably stephen king which is real basic i think anybody who even dabbles in horror and is american just kind of has to like tip their hat to, I mean, anyway, to mr king over there he's got bangers like he's got a yeah, lot of bad he books, does. But that's because he has a lot of books and like yeah. he also has a lot of bangers i know but, yeah um, i don't want to be too topical but the stand that that rips <laughs> I oh. do not like the stand all that much. Think it's really? a bit too on the nose, which is weird because I like <laughs> Melmoth the Wanderer, and that is not a subtle book, <laughs> not not at all. But whatever. <laughs> I when I found like when I first started reading the stand, I pretty much almost always stopped at like the end of the first act. So like when everybody was dead except for you know all those people, that is like when I stopped reading. I loved the first part and read it over and over uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I think I just, I definitely did have an attraction to horror when I was a kid and disasters and pandemics and dystopias and all of those things. So like he was kind of the first author that I found that stuff through um, and then just like branched off into a bunch of different directions. But with like science fiction and fantasy, some of the other people I was reading, um, Ursula K. Le Guin, who I think I actually, yeah, I do have a shout out to Le Guin um, and Finna for sure. She meant the world to me when i was a teenager and trying to figure out like uh sexuality uh, identity uh, community what is gender what is this um she was the first author that i really found who was like writing in a way that was really thoughtful um instead of in like a thoughtful and explorative way rather than trying to kind of make a point i think or use uh 
like a speculative take on gender to make a weird metaphor for something, which I was less into. Um, so those two with like tour.com, some of the other people that I remember reading, um, well, now I'm just like, I'm going to just completely freeze up and not be able to think of anybody. Kaya Shante Wilson. <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. Uh, Oh yeah, his fiction always wrecks me, and I love stuff. Um, but he's the one, only one that I can think of right now because I'm really—I don't know—I'm embarrassed about it, uh, and like unable to think of anybody. But, no problem. We, okay. We've all got like quarantine-related executive dysfunction disorders at the moment. Oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah, massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I um... had to concentrate on something for two hours, and then I oh, almost oh, just sorry. had. To... Oh, yeah, it was really hard. And then I almost took a nap afterwards. I was like, how did I used to be able to do this for like, I mean, eight hours a day for sure. But also when I was in grad school, like 10 to 13. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's do a little, little summary of Finna. Because it's a nice short book, 90 pages. And mm-hmm. all of them good. And um, I, have a, I have a particular comment about the length. It's, a, it's an insanely positive one. But that will come in time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, um, very heavy-handedly. So, <laughs> yeah. so tell us what uh, Finner is about. Oh no, I hate doing this. Um, no, everyone does. You kind of have to. Otherwise, otherwise, one of us has to do it, and oh, you don't this want is why that. I have, this is why I have an agent to do this, though. <laughs> um, okay. So the short version of Finna. Um, I really hope that you guys are editing out all the parts where I just kind of fumble over my words and sound. Nope. Uh, we're gonna actually this. like we're gonna cut them cut and paste them to make like them way longer and we're also gonna add like hall reverb on it so it's just like it's gonna be it's gonna oh yes. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll sound that's like a choir of... <laughs> of monks <laughs> that's really all i've ever wanted great whenever um... i think 35 70 year old men come out and just intone grimly until i can summon the thought <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Um, so Finna is a story about two queer co-workers who unfortunately broke up about three days before the story starts. And that would be shitty and horrible enough. Uh, working with your ex is never fun. Um, not that I would know anything about that at all. Uh, but just to make things a little bit extra complicated, when they show up at work, a customer goes missing And they very quickly realize that this customer hasn't just left the store or gotten lost in the bathrooms or anything like that, uh, but has actually wandered into a wormhole that has appeared in their shitty Swedish giant box, you know, home goods store. Um, And unfortunately, because they have the lowest seniority at work, they are not given an option and told to go and find her. And that's what they do. Yep. They certainly do. Uh, and there are hijinks. Madcap oh, yes. mayhem. Across oh, yes. the multiverse. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really it's a really fun concept. And I, I particularly like that like the idea of the multiverse that the, and there being wormhole places is just treated as a matter of fact uh, for these people. And there's like an employee video about it, and you know, it's not like yeah, it's it's weird. It's uh, it's unusual, but it's not else. It's not like you know, seeing a UFO or something. It's just a terrible day at work. Mm-hmm. That just it, gets exponentially worse. 
Oh. It felt very much like a like a golden age uh, sci-fi story, but from from the other end, like there's a number of like golden age sci-fi stories that revolve around similar things of like there's some mm-hmm. multiversal agency and then agents are coming after a person in order to blank. And there's you know a lot there's a, a bajillion stories like that. Like Harlan Ellison wrote some. You have Heinlein writing some. You have Philip K. Dick writing some. And this felt like a modern take on that but from from the opposed perspective of the people who would normally be like stalking them and uh, i really loved that like i just it was oh oh that's so lovely oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel like i was like eight and reading like a collection of like best asimov short stories or whatever that like my dad would hand me it was is this really like lovely kind of feeling i liked it yeah, I remember reading like a, a Stephen King anthology called, I think, Skeleton Crew when I was about the same age. I bought it when mm-hmm. I was on vacation. And there was just like, there was obviously some horror stories. I think some like big ones, like uh, The Mist was in there. They got made mm. into a movie. And, um, but there was a bunch of sci-fi and fantasy ones in there too. I think some even like set in a dark tower universe. And this, yeah, this kind of has the same kind of vibe. There's like a really strong central concept no no fluff around it no um nothing unnecessary it's very stripped down i i was really surprised i didn't know how long it was when i first um started reading it i was like holy shit you're going fast here slow down a little okay let it have room to breathe oh wait it's 90 pages this is this is going to be perfect here so yeah i'm saying i really liked about it Cool. I'm glad that that worked. <laughs> I mean, the, all the things that you all just said are things that I really love in like fantasy and science fiction. Like, I think you asked me about my influences, and I mentioned already Ursula K. Le Guin. She had a book of short stories that I think was probably the first book of hers that I ever read. That's called Changing Planes, um, and it has a very, actually, pretty similar concept, um, and which is just like that there's a traveler who discovers that this very specific you know confluence of like indigestion and discomfort and sleep deprivation um that you find while being in an airport just makes it like you can just take off out of your own body and then just go wander around on other planes and it's called changing planes um which is an extremely silly title Mm -hmm. uh and i appreciate a good terrible pun but um it has that just that central concept and then it just becomes a vehicle to like explore all of these different worlds. Um, and I am only now just thinking like, Oh yeah, it's probably really what I was kind of thinking about with this was just like, I really love stories about, you know, I love stories about exploration. I love, uh, I really love stories that are about relationships as well and i wanted to have some i wanted to try to write something that was like a story about a queer relationship but not the kind of queer relationships that you see in a lot of fiction like one that is really complicated and really messy and kind of nasty um i think i just dug out my original like very first attempt at an outline for the story uh and it was so different, but like I could see like what I was going for with the relationship between the main characters, even though it was just like I, it was a total miss on that first uh, attempt at an outline. But like that was the thing that I really, really wanted to dig into and like keeping that kind of like 
lighthearted, fun. You guys said madcap, um, <laughs> <laughs> which it, fe- it felt a little like facetious at the time. But yeah, I guess that's what it is. Um, and just sort of like trying to have like this adventure story be a vehicle for telling a story about like a relationship and also uh, walking away from your shitty, shitty job. Hmm. One, I, I, one, oh. Uh, oh, one influence that maybe maybe it was there maybe it's not maybe you haven't even seen this but um for some reason i kept thinking back to the film sorry to bother you i have not <laughs> I, seen that I, I and i feel too. like such a bastard for not seeing that i want to i should it's on I'm hulu just yeah. I, and i'm stuck at home i have nothing to do but yeah i will what? Watch i it. showed it i showed it to my partner recently um i'm there's a thing that no, everyone who's seen it has not told you about the movie that we all know and yeah. no one's gonna tell you but okay. it'll happen and you'll be like okay i get i get why people rave about this movie you'll also know why no one told you about it yeah the, the, it's like, weird how the omerta around it was uh no one discussed it and everyone's upheld it it's just yeah, I, I knew to I this really for the Star Wars film, but um <laughs> yeah i know yeah there's like a, a hidden brotherhood <laughs> Of people who have seen this film, they will never tell you what happens about three quarters in. Um, but the reason I think it's connected to Finna is because um, not because of that bit. No, but, not um, at all. No, no, Jesus Christ! Uh, oh. I, I definitely I, did I'm see at least like one person posting a, the kind of like the biggest spoiler in the book, like online, and I just and tagging me in it, and I wanted to just be like, I appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. This is kind of an important thing that I wanted to like let people discover. But yeah, Wait, go ahead. Yeah, let me know again. But um, yeah, the reason I, th- I think fans of Sorry to Bother You may also enjoy Finna is that it's it realizes that like working a job is just as insane as a multiverse, or there being a multiverse and jumping from plane to plane. Like it's. Going to a job every day and dressing in a uniform and having to do these weird HR things is just nuts. Mm-hmm. And sorry to bother you, really captures that really well. And this, which is why, when the the more like uh, speculative, I guess, um, elements happen later on, you don't. I mean, they're shocking, yeah, but they're not like you don't think that it, it just came from another universe. It feels like a, a, a universe that is as crazy as that to have jobs like. The one in Sorry to Bother You can have the element that uh, I'm not going to mention. Just like this feels like a something as crazy as like IKEA can have the multiverse in it because it's already just nuts. Like IKEA mm-hmm. is insane. I, I mean, I've taken acid at an IKEA, and um, oh so my maybe God. my um, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, <don't... laughs> I got. I, uh, I got lost in an IKEA when I was That's the same thing, a child. Um, because oh, people no. keep being like, "Oh no, they have arrows drawn on the floor." But one, if it's an older IKEA and those arrows have worn, and two, if it's this would have been in like the very early '90s. Like I'm not, I don't recall there being arrows. I just recall I was looking at some furniture because my parents took me there. I turn around, and my parents are gone, and I'm I'm in a fucking IKEA, and there's no one around me. Just endless, <laughs> endless hallways of furniture. I felt like I was dissociating. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, did, the, so, like yeah. I loved the like the it 
it feels obvious in retrospect, but in like a really warm way of like the the very surreal feeling of shifting through the hallways of Ikea and how they're all set up like they're rooms, but there aren't always walls between them. So it feels like you're sliding sideways through a thousand different potential universes in which this is your bedroom. I was like, oh, oh I get it now. Oh, how did I? Oh, that took me too long. Oh, I'm dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> See, you got you got to drop a couple of tabs, walk around IKEA. You'll understand this. Your mind will open up. And you'll you'll be in an IKEA, and you're like, "This is the blossoming lotus." Yeah, and the, I mean, I have only on ever been. In, I have only ever been like stone cold sober in an IKEA, which is not something I think I recommend. But it's, I feel like I I honestly don't need any kind of mind-altering substances when I go in there because Ikea itself like is mind-altering just like constantly walking through like you said like these hallways and hallways and hallways of just like endless kinds of rooms and it's just yeah it's exhausting it's like emotionally overpowering it's very very weird um and because it's also you know a big box store there's usually like it's it's like a really great opportunity for all kinds of like terrible people watching like people at usually their worst because this is the place that like also breaks up couples and families and causes divorces like it's it's, it's a very weird it, powerful place it's <laughs> one thing that i i think some people don't necessarily get about um speculative fiction in general is that like it's not you don't make it to make the world weirder. You do it because you can use the tools of speculative fiction to temporarily make something that's very, very not normal. Like it's, mm. it's in our regular world, but there's nothing normal about it. And like the spate mm -hmm. of, or the continuous spate actually of documentaries about shit. That's like, this is real, by the way, all of this is real. This is fucking really happening. And you're like, wow what the fuck and they're like it's real bitch it's fucking real um you can use it's like no there's just a multiverse now it all makes sense now we don't have to worry about it we d we don't need there's no stress there's no how can this exist it's like no i've given you an answer mm -hmm. it's like it's like a clarifying tool you're not allowed to bring up tiger king again You've, i'm not you bringing up tiger king again i'm not i'm not doing i don't want to think about tiger king again <laughs> like, yeah it's insanely depressing. I don't want to. I want to pretend I never saw it. <laughs> but, um, Wait, yeah. Uh, did on. you say that you're from? You're from Washington. I'm from uh, just outside of Washington D.C. Oh, okay. So I used to live in Washington, the state, and right before or after I moved there, there was. Uh, I don't even know. Am I really going to bring up bestiality in a podcast episode? I'm so sorry. Oh yeah. No, no, oh, yeah. Are you going to bring up yep. if there's any? <laughs> I'm sorry we sound too enthusiastic, but um <laughs> We're not enthusiastic because we're nasty beast perverts, to clarify. The regular I mean, perverts. if you were, that would be fine too. Well it wouldn't be That's fine, true. But, you know, well, I would feel a yeah, little bit weird. We know it. what you mean. If yeah. you're not yeah, okay. actually doing it. Yeah. Um so no, right after I moved to Washington State in like uh, 2006 i think um there was this kind of like terrible very weird and very tragic thing that happened there which was like there was this like uh like bestiality ring that got exposed and uncovered because one of its members died letting a stallion fuck him and i'm pretty sure there was Wait. a documentary made out of it yeah that, that was mr hands 
Miss. Oh, oh God. <laughs> That's who that was. <laughs> you yeah, said, it, and I'm like, I, we all know that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we okay. all know who I, he is. I, I don't. Well, I didn't remember his story. This also was just like. I mean, the other thing that happened when I moved to Western Washington is that there was like a roving band of massive raccoons that had started attacking cats and then dogs and then people. So like Washington was like a real weird place when I was there. That's just the film Pom Poco, but like American now. So instead of Tanuki, they're just regular <laughs> raccoons. That's all that is. That's, yeah. that's literally the plot of a Studio Ghibli movie. Oh. Wait, did they eat dogs in it? They don't eat dogs, and it's a really sad, uh, uh, like, animated mockumentary about the destruction of natural habitats of uh, native flora and fauna, where the Tanuki attempt to fight back against land developers who want to en make endless uh, suburban sprawl and end up decimating um, uh, the wild habitats of Tanuki. But in the midst of it, they become terrorists. They become uh, anarcho-communist terrorists against uh, the forces of capital and land development. This is so much better it, than talking about the guy that died from having <laughs> What's the name so, of that? Uh, Mr. Hands. No, 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 not that name. What is the name of the Studio Ghibli movie? Oh, Pom Poco. No, it is Mr. Hands. You should um, Google that loads. <laughs> there's only one thing they could possibly want to know right now. <laughs> it's the thing on everyone's mind. Um, it's called Pom two words p-o-m space p-o-k-o okay it's I'm probably writing my down. i don't it's probably my second favorite ghibli movie it's the the most heartbreaking one like i like i get m like morbidly depressed after watching it hmm <clears throat> interesting i feel like the i feel like the what is your favorite studio ghibli movie is always a really good like personality getting to know you quiz like small talk icebreaker let's yeah, do it now Okay. Gareth, answer. Okay. Oh, uh, Nausicaa. Same. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah. My, mine is probably a toss-up between um, Princess Mononoke, which just came along at like mm -hmm. a real perfect time for me, and then Great film. Oh, shit, uh, Whisper of the Heart, which makes me cry every that. time I see it. I haven't not, seen that in a long time. Yeah. I it's not very well just, known. It's um, so sweet and just very, and it's also like, you know, me projecting all of my feelings about writing onto a character, uh, onto a fictional character. But yeah, it's so sweet and very like sincere and generous and like just also like a really, it's like so beautifully animated as well. Yeah, they've just put all the, um, I think, almost all of the Studio Ghibli films onto UK Netflix. So I've been watching them with my three-year-old son. He's getting way too into Princess Mononoke, which I acknowledge is not suitable for him at all. Like, a guy's head comes off in the first, like, five minutes. It's, Look, a boy's um, got to learn about the ways of the world and also yeah. her sick-ass wolf. I know, mm -hmm. yeah. She does Two have tails? a really sick wolf. Yeah. I Voiced was by Gillian like... Anderson. Oh, yeah. I feel like... I think about... When I was seven, maybe eight years old, my older sibling and I were definitely like forging notes from our mother to take to the video store to let like the really bored teenagers there let us rent R-rated horror movies. So <laughs> your kid's probably fine. Oh yeah, I grew up my, uh, terrible. My my mom want so I uh once for a, a birthday party I'd uh, I'd recently discovered. Uh, Stanley Kubrick. I was about like 11 or so and my brother was 14 and we went, uh, we were on vacation and we had our own little 
room because we were white 90s rich at the time. All the money went away, by the way. That's the ending of that story. Um, <clears throat> but we had our own little room and it had HBO and we were flipping through and we caught the beginning of a movie that we thought looked pretty interesting and our dad had told us that he really liked called Full Metal Jacket, which we watched at 2 a.m. alone. <laughs> like, um, well, I was 11 and he was 14 and we were just like, what the, what, what the fuck did we just watch? But this made us obsessed with Kubrick. And so for my, uh, for one of my friend's 13th birthday parties, I went to the video store and I rented the only Kubrick film I could find. I can see where this is going. A Clockwork Orange. I, was, I didn't. Yeah. I, I would have. I was. I was thinking Eyes Wide Shut. But no, um, that, <laughs> oh, no. that would have at least been funny in a certain way. <laughs> I was not prepared for how dark A Clockwork Orange is. That that's a film that had like a deep parabola shape in terms of how much I was even willing to entertain liking it. Where like you know edgy 13 year old fuck yeah then you get a bit older and you're like there's a lot of gross shit in this and then by the end you're like but he's pretty clearly the bad guy so i guess it's not as bad as i thought initially <clears throat> but yeah that was uh that was a pretty intense birthday party oh <laughs> the I film ended and we were like let's have cake now <laughs> and we just sat in silence just <laughs> eating cake <laughs> Sounds like, do you want to? I do not want to discuss what we just watched. No, mm -hmm. no, I don't. <laughs> okay, so uh, apart from Langdon's insanely misspent youth, we're gonna do a, <laughs> a, a song. Uh, we're gonna put in a little musical break here. Um, so the band uh, Piran, that, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Uh, but... Yeah, I'm I'm friends with a couple members of the band, and I've never asked them. It's like, is it Pyron or Piran or? I feel like it's Pyron because it's, I think Greek. Okay, let's say it's let's say it's Pyron, and we'll sound educated. Um, they get in. They've got a new album out called Abscess Time. You know what time it is? Abscess Time. And um, they've currently released one song on Bandcamp, "Another Day in Paradise." Uh, it's yeah. If you've heard this band before, they're death metal but they've got it's like almost noise rock kind of thing especially on this song it's like um yeah almost like a jesus lizardy kind of tones that come in at times <clears throat> that are just like really yeah really feeling them they're um, one of those groups that sort of like um sort of like sweven where like they get called death metal and they get lumped in with death metal because at some point in their early history, you could clearly like go like, oh, that has the same kind of scronk, but, you know, taken a little bit further that a group like Gorguts would have. But they developed to a point now where it's like, I don't I actually don't think this is death metal anymore. It's great and I love it. But <clears throat> yeah, there's so much noise rock and just avant rock in it that it doesn't strike me as death metal. It just strikes me as like, when I tell people that I like uh, like prog metal or something like that, this is like, no, nah, I can whip ass, dog. It can whip ass. It doesn't have to be periphery. It can whip yeah. ass. <laughs> and uh, this one is uh, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Colin Marston. So you know it's good. Yep. Uh, it's got some really sick album art with like a brain and a hand. And it, just looking great. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, Carolyn Harrison does all of their art. Um, and it's just a stomach churningly good artist. Mm. Like just she's done a bunch of other records, too. Like she did the album art for Weeping Sores, which is a side project appearing. Um, and yeah, a bunch of other things. It's always killer art. Mm, yeah. What passes for survival have really like distinctive art. <clears throat> it, it's pretty simple things, just like a weird looking dog. But it's uh, like it's one of those ones that always sticks in your head. You see you know, it and you're like, I'm not going to forget this fucked up dog. Yeah. Like, the, uh, you know what's the album art that's always going to be in my head, even when I'm on my deathbed, is that Necrot album with the, like, Lich yeah. King. And the guys hold up the fig and the baby, and there's, like, blood coming out of the guy's, I assume, toilet. So, um, fun fact, I never go back to listen to that album because I'm thinking about the music. I always have the the album art will just pop into my head, and I'll be like... <laughs> wait fuck what is oh that's necrot oh shit the blade is such a tight track and then i'll you know i'll go to put on just the blade but that's track one and then i listen to the whole necrot album and i'm like fuck man fuck what a god i love death metal fuck <laughs> <laughs> yep so um even though this may or may not be death metal who who knows who who even cares at this point here is another day in paradise by Pier, uh, I can't even Pirin. do it. I did. Pirin. I looked it up. Pirin. What, it, does it have? Does it mean anything? Is it um. It 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 is a thing. Uh. Let me find it. Uh. The philosophy of Pyrrho. So I guess. Uh. And oh. he was a skeptic philosopher. Okay. That's cool. Then. Okay. It's uh. Yeah. It's Pyrrhon. The world is a business. It has been since man crawled out of the slime. That is the natural order of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone.
chosen. So that was a Piran with uh, Another Day in Paradise off Abscess Time, which I keep, every time I see that, I keep thinking of Adventure Time. And um, <laughs> that yeah. would be a really sick show. It would be like a Super Jail. <laughs> Super Jail is an incredibly sick show. I, uh, I fucking love Super Jail. I ball my eyes out at the Sanser episode. I, I don't know if I've seen all that. I, I like did a little the, binge, but uh, uh, anyway. a young girl who has terminal cancer uh, winds up, but is a mute because of the illness winds up going to the jail and she has a tag that says her diagnosis and it says cancer. And the, uh, what is it? The inmates like adopt her as their queen but interpret it as their her name is Sanser, and then she passes away in the jail, and they create like a huge like funeral pyre and have like a massive pagan rite celebrating her passing. And it's like it's it's weirdly like really touching in a show that otherwise is like the warden's like I built a huge machine to crush the prisoners. <laughs> Let's Wait, try what? it out. What the fuck? <laughs> what is this fucking show? It's called Super Jail. Super jail. Uh, it was Super on. Jail. Uh, it was on Adult Swim. A lot of stuff. Uh, cannot escape the, the time, police. Quiet, please. I'm trying to explain Super Jail. The uh, time police part's so good, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's on Adult Swim. It, it's a very Adult Swim show, as opposed to like Twelve okay. Ounce Mouse, which is too much of an Adult Swim show. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, if if you can, if you've like exhausted all the possibilities of Aquatine Hunger Force and Sea Lab Twenty Twenty One. And you need to go further into Adult Swim, and it's like three AM. Then Super Jail. You you will either not be very disappointed, or you'll hate me forever for recommending it. Anyway, we're here with Nino Cipri talking about Finna. Uh, amazing book. And so we, in the first half, right, we kind of we kind of gave may have gave people the impression that this is a fun sci-fi jaunt across the many worlds of the multiverse. And it is, in many ways. But it's also, it has it has a message. I think, I think it has it has something to say. And that thing to say, apart from what I said in the first half, which is that all work is weird as fuck. It's as weird as Debbie in a multiverse. Is that work is a really dehumanizing, terrible thing that is preventing us from seeing this like incredible, beautiful, bizarre world that we could be enjoying if we just weren't spending eight hours a day in a Ikea or office or increasingly like our own bedrooms. Um, you know, you, you don't beat people over the head with it. I think the word capitalism only appears once. But, I think um, twice. It's a recurring joke. Ah, okay. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, it. So I'm. I'm guessing you've had shit jobs at some point, right? Uh, I've had many shit jobs. Yeah. Yeah. T tell tell us about a few. Um. Okay. Well, let's see. I mean, uh, I grew up in the '90s, which there's some plenty of like legal gray area around child labor. <laughs> so okay. by age, you know, by age twelve, I was working. Uh, at, like at a dog like a doggy daycare boarding place. I worked at uh, the county fair, which was a real interesting couple of weeks of my life um, when I was, I think, 12, maybe 13. Uh, um, 
when I got a little bit older, I did a fair amount of uh, like serving and food service jobs. Um, what else? I worked in bookstores for a really long time. Uh, probably out of my like 20 odd year working history, probably like seven or eight years of those were just in various kinds of bookstores, which like was probably depending on the bookstore, like some of the better jobs that I've had, but also some of the like, like a lot of the shit that Jules goes through or just like the kind of horrible things that are like discussed about working retail in here. Like that's where I experienced it was working at bookstores. Um, wow. <laughs> it is it is what it is i worked were they, as like, a, were they like big big chain ones or they were like small independent ones i had or worked both? in like the entire gamut of bookstores i worked in my college bookstore i worked at a Barnes noble i worked at a hudson bookstore which is like the terrible bookstores that you see in airports um that was easily the worst job of the bookstore jobs that i had um and it also like ended very, very suddenly when they were like, hey, we're closing the store. This was in Chicago. Um, we're closing the store. We're going to relocate you to uh, O'Hare Airport. And I was like, no, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> like they want to just basically like not pay me for 10 days and then try and find shifts for me out at O'Hare once I like clear the very ridiculous security process that it takes to work in an airport. And I just quit. Um, I worked for a while for uh, Divi Bikes in Chicago, which is uh, a bike share program. Um, and that was a really terrible job, like so terrible that I actually didn't quit. I started a union instead. <laughs> um, <Nice. laughs> like, well uh, thank you. Um, what else? I mean, it, like. I worked in theater for a long time um, and once I tried to work in like professional or like I guess still amateur theaters like doing mostly just tech stuff I had to quit because the pay was terrible the scheduling was terrible and I was getting constantly sexually harassed um, that sucks oh mm. yeah it was awful um, what else <laughs> and then most recently I was working at uh, as like a graduate teacher and I loved teaching. I like was actually really shocked to surprise to to find out that I like teaching. I thought I would hate it, and I thought it would just be like, okay, cool. Here's another terrible job that I'm just gonna do for a few years and then get through it. Um, but I loved it, even though like the system of like graduate and em like employment is so mostly like really exploitative and awful. And mm. the University of Kansas, like. I love my department. I loved like the people that I was working with there. And like I said, I love teaching, but that was true there as well. Like no matter how much I like kind of love the mission of higher education, it was such a shit show at the same time. Yeah. I have um, a lot of friends who teach and they say the same thing. They, they love doing the classes. They love, they, they even like the kids and some of them like teach creative writing. So you can imagine like the kind of challenges that presents to people, but um, yeah, just the, everything else about it, the, the, uh, scheduling the pay everything is just horrible yeah it's super devalued work that i still think is so incredibly important but like the system that it is caught up in is fuck awful <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and uh yeah it, it kind of like i i ended up being really active in like the graduate teaching in there as well and so i would like we renegotiated the contract for the entire 
body of what, like 11,000 graduate teaching assistants at the University of Kansas. And we had to sit there and talk to people who collectively made, you know, I think there was like five people and they were all administrators and the port, like the least well-paid of them made, I think like, like $55,000, a year. Um, so four times our own salary wow. at that point. Sure. Yeah. And then we had to sit there and like <clears throat> try to convince them to give us, you know, a lot of things because our contract when I got there was pretty terrible. But like, you know, had to tell them things like we literally don't have enough money to eat. Most of us are skipping a couple of meals a week just to be able to like stretch out $25 worth of groceries. Uh, you know, I had another friend who had two kids and was driving in from God, somewhere in Missouri every day. And they were like, well, how, how can you pay for, you know, your kids and stuff? And she's like, I can't, I have to take out $10,000 a year in loans, which as like a graduate student in sociology is just like terrifying to me. Like, mm, yeah, Jesus. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm just going to no. turn this into me just talking about like the <sighs> terrible state of American higher education. No, no that, that's that's good. No, um, yeah, it it always bears repeating. You know, I I know yeah. like a fair few of uh, listeners are in that situation themselves, or they I'm sure we have some student listeners. Um, yeah, it's it's really fucked up situation. It's like um, now when you can't even teach or you've got to teach online over video. I've seen people talking about how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you know, yeah, it's. Um... I really, really hope that we come out of this. Like, and I, I feel like I've seen a lot of articles that are saying like we're either going to come out of this and go kind of like full left turn or full right turn, like either into oh, like definitely. socialism or fascism, and everybody is kind of crossing their fingers and hoping mm-hmm. it's going to go one way and not the other. But yeah. I really do hope that, like, at the very least, a lot of people come out of this with like a very different and better respect for like the kinds of labor that people do, like Mm. whether that's childcare or like teaching or like, you know, any of the other things, just like grocery store workers, like taxi drivers, bus drivers, nurses. Like that's the kind of my big pandemic hope, Mm. I guess. I I have have a pet concern with these things and that we circle around the stuff that we've been talking about that um and i couldn't quite bring this up um on the calhoun episode that we had recently um because he's much more central in a lot of uh especially in contemporary accelerationist thought um but it's one of the inherent things that makes me trepidatious about accelerationism uh, which which we're witnessing right now like we're undoubtedly in the midst of <clears throat> an accelerate uh an accelerant uh oh. As like to yeah. pick the fancy theory term for the events that accelerationists point to and go, this like you don't get revolution either. Uh, there's two ways to achieve revolution. Basically, there's the the obvious one, which is everyone gets some guns and we go make socialism happen at gunpoint. That's classic, mm-hmm. a classic of the history books. Yep. Um, but then there's also you can have some accelerant event, some massive crisis that forces a spontaneous. Um, uh elevation of conscious or uh, that that maybe moralizes too much even though they are my morals um it brings certain things to consciousness that other people uh haven't had 
like, you know, we all witness the, um, the violences of misogyny and uh, queer phobia and racism and, and capitalism, but not everyone's conscious of those oppressions. They see them, they're surrounded by them all the time, but they don't always, they're not conscious of it. And so this, you know, something that lifts that up and then everyone changes the way that some people change in their, you know, their teens or their twenties when they're like, oh, something happened. And I realized that that queer person is a person and this is causing violence and harm upon them. And now I never want to see that again. The big uh, scary concern for me is that all things like this are inherently a roll of the dice. Like, mm -hmm. and that it, it makes me cautious sometimes in, especially the more like, um, intellectual wings of Twitter that I sometimes flirt with being a, uh, a failed academic. Love that life. Um, <laughs> flunked out because I didn't have enough money to keep going. Um, mm -hmm. But classic tale. Tale as old as time. Um, but that seeing some people cleave to it and seeing some people oddly like... They don't want to say they're excited about Corona, but they are. Even yeah. some people who don't call themselves accelerationists, they go, oh, well, I see Corona and I see... Um, some people are starting community pools of resources or they're starting rent strikes in ways that these people never would have started rent strikes before. And it's like a cautious optimism and like materially working to build those structures. I think that's good. But then seeing some people lightly imply like, so I guess in a certain way, you could almost say it's been a good thing. It's like that that's nightmarish. <laughs> like, uh, well, you see that a lot, too, with like the eco-fascists oh, yeah. on Twitter who are just like, look, humans are the virus. Really, we were the problem. <clears throat> and it's just like, no, humans aren't a fucking virus. Like, we can do Some... this. People have done shit like this. Like, people have existed for a long time. Approximately, what, like a million years or whatever the fuck. Like, capitalism is a virus. Uh, the current Some way, like... humans are, th are a virus. <laughs> yes, I can name a few for sure. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. I, I, you also, I feel like this is also kind of like the thing that people say about like dystopias in fiction, where it's just like a weird individualistic, a lot of the time, like um, fantasy of you know that's sort of like safe to play out in uh, dystopia, where it's just like, oh, there's like you know all government is gone and everybody is sort of acting on their worst impulses, and then like there's one person who's like a good guy usually um and he's doing right but like it's such a shit show like i hate like i've got like i have kind of like come full circle on dystopias where it's just like when i was a kid i loved them i loved that fantasy of it and i don't know why probably because i was a weird morbid like, um, tiny asshole we've all been there <laughs> like no oh, yeah. no judgment <laughs> um and then i kind of like come all the way back around to it just being like i'm actually really tired of like you know people kind of like this sort of like masturbatory nihilism where it's just like you're kind of like sort of like internally like or externally like getting off on this idea of just like oh yeah world's going to shit and look how much i don't fucking care about or mm. you know like maybe this is a good thing like yeah me i mean yeah it's I very frustrating said, i think i've said this on the show before but what i want to read more than anything right now is a utopian novel like a sincere mm. well thought out utopian novel that isn't like set on a another planet a billion years in the future, like the culture books or something. Um, but, yeah, you know, something that's relatively 
you know, could happen a day after tomorrow stuff. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be feel so good right now to to, to read that. And kind of so, Kim, Kim Stanley Robson kind of does kind of some of that, but I need it. I need. I I want a very specific thing. I'm very. Uh, I know what I want. Yeah, I'm, there's a really I'm, great. Oh, sorry, you go on. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say there's a really interesting short story that N.K. Jemison wrote. Um, oh, that was in good. her. Oh, she's oh, yeah. fucking amazing. Um, and it was in her recent uh short story collection, "How Long Till Black Future Month," and it's called "The Ones Who Stay and Fight." And it's not. It is a utopian, and it is also very much a direct response to Ursula K. Le Guin, the ones who walk away from us. Uh, but it is a really interesting idea. Like, it, and it's, it's very kind of like meta as well, and it's constantly addressing the reader throughout it, and just being like, "Oh, is this what you expected? Well, I'm just going to throw this idea out at you, and see what you do with that. Like, okay, are you? Is this making you uncomfortable? Why do you think this is making you uncomfortable?" Like, let's sit and explore that. Um, and it is a utopian story, but it has it has some teeth in it, uh, for sure. And it did ex- definitely make me sort of like uncomfortable while I was I was actually listening to it. Um, uh, I think it was recently uh, published, like just the short in Lightspeed magazine. And so I was listening to it on a podcast. Yeah, um, yeah and a, I just it, like, yeah, stuck with me for a long time. I'll put a um I'll put a link to it in Lightspeed in the show notes, people. Oh yeah, because uh, it's yeah, it's have, in Lightspeed. I'm, I'll have a little read through this after the show, actually. I have two conjoined thoughts about dystopian fiction and why I still, I still like it in a. Uh, I like the idea of it. I don't. There's many instances, many species of dystopian fiction that I do not like. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it. <clears throat> so the the first strain will sound like it's not necessarily connected. I don't tend to like the uh, theory basis of turn-based strategy games. Um, (laughs) Go uh, on. Okay. okay. (laughs) So it's partly because it's built on this notion that like proper strategizing is built in this stepwise function. All time stops and no one gets to move but you. You get an uninterrupted, uncomplicated move where you can do anything you want and nothing can frustrate it things can frustrate multi-step plans that are supposed to play out over multiple stages but in that one stage you have absolute full control and everything else is stopped but nothing works that way that is a completely implausible theoretical imposition it makes some fun games but like the again the failed academic part of my brain who's read too many books and now has uh, a worse functioning brain than a better one (laughs) looks at it's like no the Marxist in me does not like this. This is not dialectical. Um, <laughs> non-dialectical, counter-revolutionary board game. Um, Would you believe that this to... is like the second podcast I've been on where the phrase dialectical got thrown around? <laughs> Leftists, we love it. We love that shit. We love that oh. Hegel. We love that Hegel. You said <laughs> capitalism in your book twice. This is what you're going to get now. Uh-huh. This is fine. Um, I'm great. This is great. But, I can nobody can but, see me just like panicking and look trying to look like I pretend I'm pretending to know what the fuck dialectical means. Well, you wrote a sick ass book. That's all that matters. Yeah. Technically again, technically you're better than us. You wrote a sick ass book. Like <laughs> it's really fucking sick. We haven't said that enough. We'll say that more. It's fucking mm-hmm. tight by it. Um but the I tend to like more um, either real time or simultaneous turn things. So like action will stop, but all the turns get resolved simultaneously. Like you submit what you want your move to be, and then all of them happen at once. And if something would contradict, then neither person gets what they wanted. 
Um, hmm. So it's like, oh, you both tried to move into that space, but it can only hold one. So none of you move into that space. Um, and part of why I like that is it models. This again also ties into the um, the Corona condition, but also broadly like history in general. It's not just socialist or anarchistic um, methodologies that we're seeing crop up. We're also watching an increased militarization of the police built off of the back of it's for your public health. And now it's harder to say no to that for mm -hmm. some legitimate reasons. Uh, it's like the notion of a government having that power isn't so troubling, but the notion of which governments, which like real governments are getting that power. Like it's not a yeah. hypothetical state trying to enforce a quarantine. It's America and America under Trump at that that's getting that power. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw that in uh, Hungary. They they made the yeah. Yeah. Run, like dictator and the first thing he did was ban trans people. And, and uh, which we, probably doesn't we, have many public health applications, but you know, go off. It, it, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it has actually, we, we know the number it has, and it's a, uh, it's a negative number because it makes the health mm. of all the trans people worse um, uh, and doesn't help anyone else in any positive way to even kind of balance that out. Not mm. that it even could, um, as, as we all know here. Um, but yeah. we also see like, um, I have friends who are involved in political space. Uh, they're all unemployed now due to Corona stuff, but them mentioning on alt accounts, like um, tanks and APCs are being brought into Philly right now. And no one knows except people in the political space because they don't want to riot on their hands, but it's to enforce stay at home orders. And it's like, what? And they're like, here's pictures I got sent from my boss of like 20 APCs, Jesus which are functionally Christ. tanks. And so it's as much as we're building these parallel structures that are meant to operate in supplement to the state of like communities banding together, communities helping each other. Fascists are mobilizing at the same time. That's what he real history looks like. It's never one or the other. It's always mm. both perpetually. Mm. And that's what makes this opens up an avenue for dystopian stuff. One, it's why I think dystopian stuff is always relevant because just utopia and this is again i side with hegel ever the material marxist not the utopian marxist um utopias are good to entertain they're good to engage with they're good to think about but if you buy into them too much that's pure delusion that's like opting out of the material world because it breaks our heart too much mm -hmm. and going i will only think about the pot but that's that's the equivalent that's the Marxist equivalent to being race blind, which, and we know how fucking shitty that is. Like at some point you just don't see the problems anymore. I tend to like dystopian stuff. That's more. It's nihilism comes more from heartbreak rather than like being jokerified. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It like, does. like the road, I think is a very rich dystopian nihilistic novel because ultimately that, Man loves his son, and he wants his son to be safe, and he wants to protect his son, but his heart is perpetually broken by how miserable everything is, and how sometimes the ability to keep his son safe feels so, so far away. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that feels like emotionally intelligent dystopia nihilism, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, I've been Jokerified, which... um. I'm glad that Joker exists because now we have a term for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. otherwise the 
the frustrating bit is the Joker movie is is like fine. It's not it's not actually terrible. It's not good either, but it has given us the powerful tool of referring to people as having been Jokerified. <laughs> or that things are or are not Joker. Like coronavirus, it's Joker. Hmm. I think the other thing that I find really frustrating about a lot of dystopian stories is that a lot of it just becomes kind of like a vehicle for a very um, kind of like fantasy idea of a revolution, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like just like, oh, they, like absolutely oh, yeah. Hunger Games. Or it's just like, it's it's just like unrealistic it's uninteresting and it's very kind of like he, like campbellian hero journey based fiction like and i just i hate joseph campbell i hate his shit I hate, like, I hate the very individualistic ideas that a lot of like that kind of dystopian fiction espouses um, yeah, I, mean, I especially hated hung the way hunger games panned out because it's it seemed like it was going an interesting way at the start but then you had District 13, I think it was, arrive, mm -hmm. and it's just like, oh, this is just the United States. It's just a giant military with a kind of democracy republic attached to, to it at the head. And now they're just going to bomb stuff until uh, freedom reigns supreme again. Yeah, My ability to be remarkably condescending ha enabled me to enjoy Hunger Games because when I started getting to that point, I was like, ha ha ha, this is candy for babies. And then <laughs> like, I just kept in at that point. I was like, oh, it's like Star Wars. It's pure, pure enjoyment. Like there's nothing <laughs> real in this. And my brain's able to just very condescendingly turn off like, oh, your politics are uh, an aesthetic to look neat. <laughs> That's fine. I like things that look neat. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's it it's definitely a um But that's also fair. That's like a very yeah. fair take to have. Like, yes, it's entertainment. It doesn't necessarily have to mean the same things to everybody, but it's just like I want it, something but, better than this. Well, it, well, yeah, I mean that's what I was saying. It's like you have I, I also absolutely the fair critique in that um it does it puts on that shawl not because it thinks of itself as entertainment. It clearly thinks of itself as political fiction. Like, yeah. I made someone really mad the other day by saying that Star Trek isn't political fiction. It desperately wants to be political fiction, and it wants you to think that it's political fiction. But if you dive into Star Trek and, like, start teasing teasing it apart, there's nothing really coherent in it. Its political messaging isn't really coherent. It works on symbol, but not on mechanics or meat. And at mm -hmm. some point, it's like, and that's fine. It's fun. I like warp drive. I like their neat suits. I like the the fun aesthetic of space communism. It just isn't all that actually politically toothsome. But you get not just the work pretending that, but then you get people acting as though it pulled it off. And it's like, God damn it, you're stupid. <laughs> like I, I mean, I know a lot of because it Oh, you go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, okay. I was just gonna <clears throat> say, like, I know a lot of people who have very strong feelings about Star Trek, and I'm absolutely not one of them. Um, I just, I, I like, I like occasionally getting high and watching a couple of episodes of like Next Generation, but that's about it. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the really fun things to do is like to actually take some of those like weird, just kind of like flippantly thrown out ideas about the you know luxury gay space communism that is in Star Trek, 
and then just like really dig into it i saw this one amazing tweet thread that was by sarah Tabor, who's like one of my favorite like agricultural political intellectuals i guess i don't know um but she just like dug really far down into what it means that like picard's brother has a vineyard and like why does agrarianism still exist it like three centuries from now um and oh, that's i know he yeah she sarah Tabor has been on one of our she was on trash feature a little while ago oh she, yeah, i love her shit she's cool small world. Sorry, my computer's blown up. I feel like I have talked so little about my own book on this podcast, and I think it's just because, like, y'all are probably the first two people that I've actually <laughs> spoken to outside <laughs> of my family and my friend, oh, like no, a couple that's of friends. Fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, it's a, it's a short book and it's twisty. So if we talked, if we talk about too much of the plot, then I mean, if we talk about it much more than one third in, you're going to give away a pretty big spoiler, and I don't want to give yeah. that to you. I know, I know you. like, technically speaking, people say that uh, knowing spoilers doesn't affect things, but I think if it was me, then I wouldn't want my, my work spoiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think spoilers yeah. are a sometimes thing i don't think it's necessarily you can make a hard and fast for every single kind of thing but this is one of the things where i think walking along the journey of it was very good because gareth and i didn't even talk about it aside from are you reading it yes it's tight i agree um (laughs) mainly to try to preserve that kind of thing like it it felt very much like it benefited from it being that intensely personal thing especially because at 90 pages i knocked it out in two sittings um Mm -hmm. so it was I didn't have to worry about maintaining that kind of like defensiveness around it for like, you know, two weeks while reading, you know, a longer novel or something. Yeah. I mean, I literally finished it a few hours ago and it's, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is a lovely thing about being so short and so concise and so fast moving. Like it could very easily be a, a movie here. And, I did um, actually which... write it as a screenplay. First. Nice. I was going to say it, it. It. I think. I think. I don't know if you use the whole save the cat template, but I. It. It. It fits really well into like the the arcs of like, you know, when um. Uh, in like an action movie where they'll try a plan, but it fails, then they'll come back with another plan and it succeeds, and that's always the arc at the end of the movie. This. This has the mm-hmm. same. This has the same arc. Structure, um I, I hadn't actually read save the cat well i i read it, like it's a very imp- well it is horrible <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's also really astute like it, I, that's what why it makes yeah. it horrible it's the worst written yeah. thing i've ever read but it's oh, so yeah. it, it works perfectly and if you stick to uh-huh. the this 19 point thing you'll instantly write a blockbuster film yeah um and so it's funny because like i was i was trying to follow a very like I think a third a three act structure because this was mm. I was in a screenwriting class. This was, you know, the I think this was my final project for it. No, this was the first thing that I wrote for that. Um and so I was just like trying to write like a like two the three act structure, which I was like it took me, you know, until I was what, thirty two to actually understand what the hell that was. Um 
But I've seen, you know, I've just like grown up steeped in that exact kind of storytelling that I'm pretty sure like when I read Save the Cat, I was like, holy shit. I did. I didn't know any of this. I do this all the time instinctively, Mm. though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, people do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can apply Save the Cat to Casablanca. I mean, every, mm-hmm. people have been doing this forever, and that's yeah. kind of the point of it. It's um, what what changed between like the screenplay version, the book version? Not like not a lot in terms of uh the like the beats or the pacing or the scenes, and a lot of the dialogue is also intact. I think mm. um, like a lot of like very surface level things changed, like the title changed, the names of the characters changed um what really the like trickiest part in adapting it was like i had a 60 page screenplay which is just dialogue and pretty minimal stage direction and like very very minimal description um and then i had to like you have to with screenplay writing kind of rely on the production design and the actors to tell 85 percent of the story um it's like, you know, a, a screenplay is really just a skeleton. And so when I was adapting it to fiction, I had to, like, actually create characters and insert all of the interiority, especially for Ava, um, who was just sort of like, at that point, like, just a vehicle for the story to get told. And, like, I had to dive much further down into her, her character, her motivations. Um, I was really worried that I was making her into being, like, just kind of an asshole at first and then i was really worried about like a lot of the stuff with like trying to write about mental illness um so that was probably the main thing that changed was just like getting a lot more of her thought process and her journey down onto the page instead of just assuming like cool i'll have an actor that person is probably just gonna fucking kill it like i have to do all the work cool and I, I mean, do you have a preference? Uh, so or, this brings me to the point that I heavily, heavy-handedly foreshadowed earlier on. Um, <laughs> I, one of the reasons that I absolutely loved Finna is I absolutely love this. Um, it's not like a novella for me tend a little bit longer. Like is somewhere just north of like the upper ranges of a short story. Like for me, once you get to like forty or 50 pages that's about like the upper limit but in my brain novella sits at like 100 to 150 like a really short novel this sits in Mm -hmm. that wonderful middle space where like you have the structural um tautness that a short story would have like finna very much feels if you it's not that you could subtract out much of this very easily and have it still work but the way that its plot skeleton works it doesn't feel as mossy or as rangy as a novel um mm-hmm. it feels very much like a short story that just takes longer to tell and like you get some more novelistic uh digressions folded into it but it still keeps that tautness and it just it's this like magical uh, structural format that I absolutely fucking love. And like, I was predisposed to love this where it's like, oh, it's about uh, multiversal travel, anti-capitalism. It's set in an Ikea and it's like your ideal book length Langdon outside of 1 million pages. And I was like, 
five out of five. And Gareth was like, you actually have to read it, Langdon. We can't, <laughs> talking to the author, you actually, and I was like, five out of five. And he was like, I understand. I hear that, but please. Um, and it, one of the things that I like about that is one of the things that I also like about um, short stories in general is they provide really fertile ground to like spring off of. Like it doesn't, it's a kind of format that feels like you don't have to point directly at the work when discussing it with other people because it's more meant to like shotgun blast some ideas and thought spaces into your brain and then move out of the way. Like, and I, I really love that about this where it's like loving the characters, loving the plot arc, loving the way that it twists and turns, but also it just like gave these germinal blasts of ideas that I was able to read it quick, put it down, and then let those flower in my brain. Whereas for some, not to knock novels, I, I write and I love novels as well, but those tend to work more by having you slowly flower and develop the set of thoughts in your brain, tease out all the possible angles, and then watch it wither and die. And then the book is done. And that can sometimes be a bit more mentally exhausting and makes it feel like when you talk about the book, you have to talk about the book and not the ideas that it like made you think about mm -hmm. because by the time you're at the end of the book, you're also at the end of those ideas. It doesn't necessarily feel like, uh, like it's a fertility necessarily. It's like, no, we're going to go through the entire arc and then we're, we're going to be done. Meanwhile, this is like, I'm going to throw some shit at you and it's going to be, it's going to be thoughtful, but I'm going to bury that amongst some fucking wild shit. Are you ready to move sideways through reality? Motherfucker. And I'm like, I am. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Like, <laughs> There's the blub. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to move sideways through reality? Motherfucker. Death and, mm -hmm. wait, yep. death and sentences. Is that what I'm <laughs> just, just death sorry. sentence. It's, it's fine. Death it's fine. But uh, okay. yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I it's mean, been a weird week and my brain is garbage, though. So. Oh, it's been a weird, yeah, it's been a weird <laughs> oh, week. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, folks at home, do give this one a go. It's, it's 90 pages. Take you an afternoon. You've got, you've got the time. We know you've got time. Don't be, like, uh, busy. We know you're not busy. Don't front you're busy. Um, yeah, it, it is really, really, really solid book. So what, what do you think you're going to do next? What's the next project? Well, um, so, uh, I just last May finished the novel, um, and then finished revisions on it in November. Uh, so there's things I unfortunately can't talk about because they haven't been officially announced or, and I haven't signed contracts for your things. Mm -hmm. Um, but the next project I have out will probably be that. Um, and then there's, wait, when is this going to be coming out? Like tomorrow? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> man, I well, oh, okay. I can tease that there's going to be some like really cool news uh, about Finna, um, which will be coming out. Uh, I think Tor.com will be publishing an announcement early next week or early or no later this week. I think. Wait, what day is it? Jesus uh, Christ! Saturday. Saturday the sixth, right? Yeah. No, Saturday or something. Anyway. Fourth. Early next week, there should be a an announcement coming out from Tor.com. Um, and I think that's really all I can say at this point. So, um, okay. nice. yeah, really fun things that I absolutely just can't talk about. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No, it, less is more. You know, you're, uh -huh. you're a master of economy. 
Thank and, you. Uh, there. I can also say that I've been writing uh, short stories on my Patreon. And right now they're all about the, the character that I play in Dungeons and Dragons and cops being bad. And cities <laughs> and city, like city state governments being terrible to poor people. So Ooh. it's me on my shit even more there. So what's your character? Tell, tell us about them. <laughs> my character is a former street urchin turned monk for a shitty, shadowy um, pseudo-governmental organization, and they feel very bad and conflicted about it um, because they're basically working for uh, the boogeyman, more or less. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I really, like, I'm, I feel no connection to the character I'm currently playing in D&D, so I think I'm just going to let him die and just roll a new one at some point. Um, I mean, plus... When I first wrote when I first rolled this character, like, because I was just, uh, I think, like, doing a little guest spot on a friend's campaign, and, like, I was just, I told my DM, who, like, asked me if I wanted to come in, um, I was like, you should just kill me really dramatically. It would be super fun. And then he didn't, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> now I need to write sad backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, me and my friends are playing this, like, hardcore 70s uh D&D clone called Labyrinth Lord and it's like mm. it's fully you you die very easy I, I have three hit points and they're yeah you die easily in this so I'm, I'm not going to stick with this guy for much longer he's gonna I'm, I'll replace him by hopefully a talking cat person nice that would be that'd be sick but mm -hmm. um yeah so folks at home do go out and buy this uh keep your ears open on tour.com because apparently there's going to be some big news. We're going to find out what it is after we stop recording. So it could be totally crazy news. But uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, keep an eye out for what Nina does next, because it's bound to be really cool. Um, and, yeah, um, Patreon, too. Uh, check out our Patreon, because uh, mm. we've still got one. We've got one, like all podcasts do. Uh, we're going to be putting out a lot of episodes, so you will get to hear the, the them before everyone else um and yeah we're gonna end the show with a little bit of music uh so langdon as you may know writes for a very good website called invisibleoranges.com and a bunch of others reverb uh, probably a bunch of others i'm forgetting uh, uh it's uh, treble not reverb but not reverb. oh yes not reverb okay you put together a long ass review of a album called four dimensional flesh by afterbirth um it sounds good as hell um it's technical death metally stuff landon do you want to talk about it a bit uh yeah i guess the the briefest way to describe it is um it's so it's put out on unique leader records and for anyone who doesn't know which is probably going to be a lot of people they mostly put out like slam death metal or like death core or the specific kind of like they put out rings of saturn like that kind of like oh, even when they're doing guys. techie or proggy stuff there it's in so no knock to them there's a whole world of people who really love that stuff i'm not one of them but you know that's that's fine it, you know, death metal is a big very variable genre field so it, it's good that there is the fact that there's spaces in death metal that are whole ass like super fertile fields that I don't like at all means that it's very big and that's good 
in my brain. Um, but a bunch of people that I know were fucking raving about this album. And I was like, eh, and I was like, they were like, Langdon, look at this fucking album cover. Also, dear reader, please look at the album cover. It's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, also, it's called Four Dimensional Flesh. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty. All right, that's pretty tight. Yeah. And they were that's like, a good also, fucking title. Right. Damn yeah. right. And it, it's like a bunch of MC Escher ass, uh, like landscapes and a cosmonaut in front of them. It's it's really cool looking. Um, so, you know, I go to put it on and the, the first track is the two minutes of just, you know, slam and brutal death metal. And I'm like, uh, OK, I mean, it's not bad, though. And then it kicks into what the rest of the album is, which is just fucking like. It sounds like a more psychedelic artificial brain in terms of like technical death metal and very very progressive very psychedelic like it feels like you're staring at a black light poster but it's the death metal version which means it's tight instead of like aggravating and corny (laughs) uh you're just like fuck these riffs fuck (laughs) and then it's like you look at the lyrics and it's all shit about tesseracts and shit and you're like fuck it's just it's really really fucking dope And yeah, most of the review is me talking about how I had to eat crow because I'm like, I don't like slam. I there's I like some brutal death metal. Like I love I like Cannibal Corpse. I like Suffocation. You know, the sort of there are obvious ones that anyone who likes death metal is going to like. But then beyond there, I'm not, like, I didn't really like the Devourment record that everyone went nuts over last year. Mm-hmm. Um, just wasn't really my thing. And then I heard this and I was like, you know, sometimes I can be wrong. I can make mistakes. This is this is life. We make mistakes. We correct those mistakes. That's what matters. And what matters right now is that this album fucking rules. Like, cool. so, what I love about death metal is that like it makes my brain that sometimes uses the big words too much and can't think good because the big words crowd out normal, regular human thought. It makes all that turn off. It goes away entirely. Death metal time, baby. <laughs> I mean, it is always death metal time. On the Death Sentence podcast, uh, <laughs> I sounded way too professional then. But so we're gonna should we play the second track? So where it kicks in a spiritually transmitted disease. Yes, that's a corny ass title, but um, yeah, we will play it anyway. Uh, so yeah, so come back next week. We've got who we got. Um, if everything goes well, we're talking to uh, Gabby Herstig about magic with a CK. So the real shit. We're gonna learn some necromancy. Yeah, folks. We're fucking learn spells. We're getting ready to take DMT and see Machine Dracula with our spells. Yeah, we're gonna become so eldritchly powerful next week. Uh, also, doing the first time we've ever had a YA author on the show, uh, Emily Duncan, whose uh, second book in a series called Ruthless Gods, we've heard good things about. Plus, she has a cool tasting mix, so she's all right. And um, yeah, she'll be on the show next week. We're going to be talking to just like we're just talking to a bunch of friends as well. We just like put feelers out, and people who we like are going to come on the show and talk to us about stuff. We're going to do a show about an anime I really like fairly soon. I'm going to do which my one? First, which one? Uh, Dora Hidoro. Okay, I don't know. It's the best anime I've seen in probably a decade. It's amazing. I only recently discovered that anime is like the no. Not, this sounds stupid. Like I only recently discovered that anime is the best thing fucking ever, 
Um, oh, yeah, I'm super behind the oh, times yeah. on this shit, but oh yeah, no, I yeah. I was an adult when that happened too, because I was uh I was a teen who was into like death metal and prog rock and 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 novels and shit in high school, and so obviously I had no friends. I'm not gonna pretend I had friends, none, none whatsoever. But I looked at the other people who had no friends, and I was like, okay, let's try to get some friends, and they were all white high school weebs, and I was like, nah, fuck that, fuck that. Mm-mm. So I wrote off anime for like forever. And then, yeah, as an adult, I got into it and I was like, wait, the shit's tight. It's just, once again, a thing that's cool and everyone who likes it is awful, except when they're fucking normal about it. Isn't hmm. that also a tale as old as time? So, Nina, what um, animes do you like? Give us some, uh, some recs. The one it. that I... So, what the hell have I been watching lately? Um... The one that I finished most recently is real fucking weird and great, and it's called Sarazanmai. Uh, it's by the guy who did. Uh, oh, what the I fucking fuck? love uh, that one. Rev- yeah, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Um, oh, nice. I, I like that. So. Yeah. So this one's it's kind of bonkers. I'm I'm probably uh-huh. gonna be writing a whole <laughs> essay about it. Um, it's real queer. It's very uh-huh. strange. It's extremely sentimental. Um, and it's also like really it has a lot of butt stuff in it too which i <laughs> i admire the kind of audacity. oh yeah absolutely um oh yeah somebody just this that was, sexual wow. million. Okay. That, 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 was uh, that was not <laughs> what i was expecting for the butt stuff anime there's a lot of like uh ducks in this kappas they're kappas they're kappas yeah don't, don't call them a frog uh, wait, uh, kappas are actually kind of duck so they're Ooh. a cutie <laughs> You're going to get your Shirogadama yanked out of your butthole, and you're going to really regret saying that. Um, Come here to say yeah. that. Sarah's Anima is fucking incredible. It is. It is. It's so beautiful as well. Um, yeah, it's such a visual feast. Like, the, the, the animation feels very, like... It, you can tell it's made by the person who made Revolutionary Girl, uh, Utna, because it's just... Like, looking at it as bananas. If you had no subtitles and it was muted, you could have a good time seeing it. Mm-hmm. Cool. I just came out like I made my, wow. I made a really good friend of mine watch it and she was high as fuck. And just, I didn't tell her about it really. I was just like, you're just going to like this. Just shut up and watch this. Here's your bowl. Like, let's go. Um, and she was like, Nina, what is this? Nina, what's going on? Nina, what is this? This is amazing. And like, Instantly, like, told Oliver, like, you know, eight other friends that they had to watch it as well. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's super, like, it's super strange to watch. Like, a, there are a lot of, like, weird subtleties in it that I had to watch, like, multiple times to kind of get at. Um, but it's also just very much about, like, a story that it's very much just a story that's about, like, trying to connect with other people. Um, and how difficult that is and how like things like consumerism and capitalism and your own shitty trauma kind of make that impossible or really difficult. Um, so it's very moving too. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like losing my shit over like the, the butt stuff and then like almost crying in the same episode. It's, and it's, it's a lot of whiplash. It's great. <laughs> you would really like keep your hands off my eyes. Okay. Um, I've been, yeah, that's probably the next one I'm going to sit down and watch. It literally just finished. So all the episodes are up now. Absolutely incredible. Yes. It's um, the newest one, Gareth. It's the newest one by Yuasa. He's the guy who did 
um, Devilman Crybaby. Oh, he did okay. Ping Pong. Cool. He did the Tatami Galaxy. Um, just like wall to wall bangers. And it's his, mm. his newest one. That one's also really sweet and really sentimental, but in like, not in uh, that cornball way that we were all kind of dancing around. There's kind of like an overly sugary, overly wholesome thing that's been on internet space for, you know, for a while now. And it, that can be kind of annoying. Um, this isn't that. It feels very like they're actual people and they have squabbles, but they... And then also you look at the animation, you're like, fuck, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to be... I'm going to watch uh, my tonight. Tonight. Yes guarantee that oh um, if you're gonna watch that one also watch uh somali and the forest spirit i think mm. Mm. uh yes it it's an incredibly uh heart-wrenching tale about uh a young girl's an orphan's adoptive dad who is terminally ill and hasn't found a way to tell the girl that he's adopted trying to get her to a safe place so that she will be safe by the time that he dies. But it takes place in a high fantasy universe and it's every creature is fucking bananas. Okay. Feeling that too. What's that called? Somali and the forest spirit. Somali as in someone from Somalia? Uh, yeah, I can, uh, just boom. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Somali and forest spirit. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, oh, it's real good. Like it, it's uh, it's ri- it, it's it is a seinen. Um, oh no, Langdon, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to break down all. Basically, it, it's for grownups. No. <laughs> it's fantasy, okay. but it's for grownups. <laughs> there we go. Okay, okay, it's for grownups. Anyway, here before we talk about anime for the next four hours, and I, I probably could. <laughs> it's here, our modern condition. It is mm-hmm. yeah. We're all stuck inside. We need to watch something. And there is literally infinite amount of anime. Um, especially if you have Crunchyroll. My God, that just goes forever. Crunchyroll's mm-hmm. heaven. Love yeah. that shit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go out and buy the book Finna. It's really good. Really good. Thank you. Just, yeah. yeah. Just like mwah, Italian chef's kiss hands action right now. Also, and now... Listen to the band Afterbirth with the song Spiritually Transmitted Disease. Come back next week.